for the preaching of God's Word, let's turn to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a blessed psalm that speaks of the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm of David. Let's read Psalm 16 together. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Let us pray. <clears throat> we ask our blessed Lord that you would, by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and minds as we come to hear the preaching of your word. We pray that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, open our minds, our hearts, our eyes to see and to receive the wonderful things that you reveal in your holy word unto us. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. There are many critics or you can call them skeptics, who question the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nothing new. It was something that was questioned during the time of the Apostle Paul. That's why we have what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. It was an apologetic against those who were denying the resurrection. And of course, Paul points out, if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, you have no hope whatsoever. You are to be pitied. But in our age, um, in our day and age, there are many who deny the resurrection, and one of the reasons is because they are anti-supernaturalists. If they can't explain it with the scientific method, if they can't put it in a lab and experiment upon it and use the scientific method to, to come up with an experiment or to see it demonstrated in that fashion, they don't want to believe it because they think they're in a purely mechanical world where there is no spiritual realm. But from start to finish, this holy book, this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is a supernatural book by a God Almighty who has created the heavens and the earth and all the stars and everything merely by the word of His power. A supernatural God who has written a supernatural book 
the resurrection, this miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ is no exception. It's a work that is miraculous, extraordinary, supernatural. Today's uh, Psalm of David gives us a prophecy that foretold the Jesus, um, the Messiah, you could say, uh, and his glorious resurrection. Of course, David didn't know his name would be Jesus, but he, he looked forward to a Messiah, not only in this passage, but in many other Psalms, there are what we call messianic prophecies that foretold the coming of Christ. The Holy Spirit inspired David to write this psalm, but we notice that in the beginning, in verses 1 through 9, a lot of the psalm is talking about David's particular comfort in having God as his refuge. And then in verse 10, the same Holy Spirit inspires David to give a testimony of the Messiah to come and his supernatural resurrection. As we will look later, both Peter and Paul uphold this psalm as an authority in teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we look at today's text, God calls you to take refuge in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, we'll, we'll see that in two main points. Uh, the refuge in God and its fruits. There are fruits in having refuge in God, but also we will look at refuge because of the risen Christ. So let's look at this first main point, refuge in God and its fruits. Verse 1 gives an overview, you could say an overview statement of the whole psalm. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. A refuge, for you young people, is not probably a word that you hear often, but it's a place of safety, a place of shelter. It's like a, you could say, a fortress, something that keeps you secure during time of war. Um, in your outline there, I printed Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's a lot of terms there. Stronghold, fortress, uh, a rock of refuge. Um, sad to say, uh, castles became outdated once, once the cannon and once dynamite was invented because you could just blast through those walls. Uh, so they became sort of obsolete, sort of like the tank in, on the battlefield in Ukraine and, and uh, Russia, well, in Ukraine. You could take them out with a, with a uh, what they call a switchblade drone or something of that sort of guided missiles. Um, they became obsolete because you could just blast through the walls. And the problem with a stronghold made with human hands is that it could be taken down with instrument of war by human hands. But the good news of the Holy Scriptures is that God gives a place of refuge, a mighty fortress, a mighty rock, not made with hands, it cannot be undone with the instruments of men or even by the work of Satan that cannot stand whatsoever against that fortress that comes and that has been created by God. Um, we, we know that God is the mighty one and those who re take refuge in him cannot fall. It is sure and steadfast. It cannot fail. We need God's work of preservation, protection, and refuge against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But maybe you haven't thought of this as another essential place that we need to take refuge is against the wrath of God 
itself. Remember when Moses asked God to be uh, to see his glory? He said, Lord, I would love to see your glory. And God agreed that he would let his glory pass by, but that he would hide Moses in the cleft of a rock, a place of refuge, so that when God's glory passed by, he would not be consumed. Well, when God's wrath for sin passes by on that great day of judgment, only those who are hidden in, rock, in that rock, which is Christ, shall survive that great day of judgment. You must be hidden in the rock, which is Christ, to be spared on that great day of judgment, lest you are consumed. Those who have taken refuge in Christ have this testimony as David gives in verse 2. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good beside you. God's not going to spare anyone on the day of judgment because they're going to say, Well, Lord, I was a good person. Didn't I do nice things to my neighbor, for my neighbors? Wasn't I a faithful husband? Wasn't I a good dad? I, I'm a good person. I haven't really stolen anything bad. Well, this passage here says in verse 2, I have no good besides you. Each of us have a long list of transgressions, a long list of sins wherein we have broken the laws, we have transgressed the laws which God has told us of things not to do, and then we've failed to do the things that he told us to do. And one we looked at earlier was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's a thing that we have failed at. But the good news is that there is a goodness by saving faith in Jesus Christ that can come to those who believe in the Lord Jesus because Jesus was perfect, holy, and undefiled, a holy, perfect, undefiled Savior who not only paid for your failure to keep the law, but he perfectly obeyed the law. He perfectly loved the Father with everything he had, perpetually, forever, from the from his youth until he died, he never sinned. He perfectly loved God. And his perfect goodness can be your goodness by faith. Not only forgiven, but granted a righteousness. The, the, the scripture, Paul describes it as being accounted, reckoned, uh, imputed to your account. It's something that is given to you as a gift by faith. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could say, Lord, I have no goodness beside you. I have no goodness except through what I have obtained through Christ my Lord. That's the only goodness that will spare you on that great day of judgment. Verse 3 gives an evidential fruit that lets us know whether or not God has done this wonderful saving work in our lives. Verse 3 says, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Perhaps you've not thought of yourself as majestic. But you know, if you, you have a holy faith, you've been taken out of the fire like hot brands of iron, pull, or actually brands of fire, it's actually burning logs that are pulled out of the fire. And God has molded and made you into something special. And he continues to mold you and make you into something special. If you are in Christ, there's something majestic about your faith. 
maybe personally not about ourselves, but we have a holy faith and we are a holy people set aside for a holy purpose, a kingdom of priests that God has called to, to show forth the wonders of his grace. So the question is, in verse 3, he says that, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones, in whom is all my delight. One evidence that you're a Christian is that you delight in the saints. If you're a Christian, you delight in the people of God. And John says the same thing in the New Testament. It's printed there in your outline. John teaches in 1 John 3, 14, We know that we have passed out of death into life because... We love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So a spiritual question is, who do you want to spend time with? The majestic saints of God? Do you want to delight in them? Who is your delight in? Do you delight in the people of God or do you delight in the people of the world? That's a spiritual litmus test, isn't it? A believer delights in fellow saints yet does not want to have anything to do with those who go after false idols. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Um, That word there for bartering um, could be translated as paying a a bride price. If you were going to pay uh, a father for the price of his bride that's the sort of thing that's there that's mentioned there in that particular word in other words people have sold out for worshiping a pagan god one of the things they sell they sell their soul in a sense they they sold themselves they bartered their soul to worship a pagan false god um the word there god is not actually in the in the original language in the in the hebrew it's supplied in the new american standard anything that you desire more than god can be an idol something that your soul goes after but here the context is something of pagan worship david saying i'm not going to participate with them i'm not going to pour out a drink offering of blood and i'm not even going to take the name of those pagan gods upon my lips i, I don't want anything to do with these people and that's, the, that's the, the heart of a Christian. We should flee those, we should delight in those who are the saints, but we should flee those who are involved in paganism or those in false gods or false idols. A fruit of taking refuge in God is that God will give you a blessed inheritance. In verses uh, 5, well, just look at verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You could say here, God himself is your inheritance. He says, you support my lot. A lot is, is an allotment. If, if you're granted a, an inheritance of a land, it's a, an allotment of land. Um, again, that's kind of supported in verse 6. The, land, the lines, or you could say the property lines, have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And it's the same thing of the, the Israelites being given this allotment of land or inheritance but our inheritance is not something of this world we're not looking for land in palestine Uh, we're not looking for any land anywhere necessarily as our ultimate inheritance jesus christ said he is going to prepare a place for us 
and that is our ultimate inheritance. And then what's glorious is that place for us is going to descend from heaven as a new Jerusalem. A glorious new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells and Jesus Christ is the Lamb of that new Jerusalem. That's the inheritance that God has allotted to those who have faith in Him. I believe that as we look at verses um, 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit is a primary fulfillment of those verses, verses 7 and 8. Look at those with me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It talks about the Lord counseling him. Well, an, another name for the Holy Spirit is counselor. The, real, the word is actually paraclete, which can mean counselor or uh, one who goes beside or advocate. One who goes beside us, as in, a, a, like before a legal proceeding, one who defends your case before the judge. That's the counsel that we get from the Holy Spirit. It's that same Holy Spirit that was instructing him in the night, and maybe when you're having insomnia and you're praying and God's convicting you of something, it's that same Holy Spirit that convicts you, that helps you, that leads you back to look at the Holy Scriptures, that leads you back to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn away from the things of the world. That's that same Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that of those who have believed the gospel, says that you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. God gives us that blessed Holy Spirit as a pledge. And if you have that Holy Spirit, he will not take it from you. So all this wonderful, blessed things that God gives to David, this great refuge can be, it's something that gives David this great joy that he could say in verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. A gift of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is assurance. That's what David had. He had an assurance in God's salvation. Now, all of this, all of this blessed, wonderful refuge, safety, salvation, gospel hope, gospel promise, everything that we've looked at so far in this text is nothing apart from the resurrection of the Messiah. So we look at verse 10, that pivotal passage. We'll look at the refuge because of the risen Christ. So David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke of the coming Messiah in verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. The word Sheol here could be translated as a wasteland, an underworld. Um, Some translators say a subterranean void, like a hollow space in the earth, or even Hades. It's a place for the dead. Now, David absolutely could not be speaking of himself when he said, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Because we know that David's body did undergo decay. The New Testament gives us 
and infallible interpretation of these uh, passages. Let's turn first to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 22. This is Peter's preaching here. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ and that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again which we are all witnesses, having therefore been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he has poured forth, which you both see and hear. Uh, One particular passage I want us to notice here in verse 24. It was impossible for him, for Jesus, to be held by death's power. Impossible. Death could not hold him. Um, I'm not crazy about the, uh, the chorus on this particular hymn, but I love uh, some of this other portion of this hymn. Up from the Grave He Arose by uh, Robert Lowry, talking about the impossibility of the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ being held by death. He says, Vainly they watch His bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior, he tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. And then this Acts chapter 2 goes on to say in verse 33 that he was exalted to the right hand of God. He wasn't just merely raised from the dead, he was exalted to God's right hand. This, this psalm is so important concerning the resurrection that even It's not only picked up by Peter, it's picked up again by Paul. Let's look at Acts 13. Acts 13, 28. 
And though they found no ground for putting him to death, in other words, they put him to death unjustly, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, namely Psalm 16, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he, he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So the resurrection of Jesus was a fulfillment of the promises made to the fathers. It was a fulfillment to the promise and to the revelation given to David as well. The ultimatum, keep your place in, in uh, Acts 13, the ultimatum that God gives each and every one of us and each and every one of you this morning is in verses 38 through 39. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. If you believe in Jesus, you have been freed from the curse of your failure to keep the moral law, the law of Moses, or that law that was given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, written on tablets of stone. You have been freed of that penalty and curse for sin because Jesus Christ has paid that penalty. But failure to believe on this Jesus Christ means that you're, no lo- you're not free. You're still bound. But God gives you that ultimatum. Put your faith in Christ so that you would be made free of the curse. Again, both, um, Psalm, both Acts chapter 2, Acts 13, both tell that Peter and Paul both tell us that this had to be Jesus Christ spoken of in this psalm. Because David underwent decay, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. He has raised them up on the third day after his resurrection. Acts 2.36 says, Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the exalted Lord of heaven and earth, which whom is given all power and authority. This deliverance, getting back to Psalm 16... If we go back to Psalm 16, this deliverance 
here in Psalm 16 tells us that David saw it as still yet future, according to verse 11. He's speaking in a future sense. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, David was looking forward unto Christ who had not yet come. We look back to Christ who we know already came. So we could say this. We don't have to speak in the we don't have to speak in the past, in the future sense or even in the past tense. We could speak in the present tense. You can say, "Father, I thank you that you have made known to me the path of life through the precious son Jesus Christ whom you have sent to die for me." We can claim verse 11 and apply it and pray that prayer in that particular way because God has given a perfect blessed obedient, forgiving, resurrected Christ for us to put our faith in. God calls you to take refuge in that resurrected Christ. There is no refuge that can be had in any other place but in Jesus Christ to be spared from the wrath to come. Take refuge in Him because He promises to give you fruit in that refuge. Joy gladness, security, the abiding presence of his counselor, his Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is given as a seal and a promise if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must, though, believe that this Jesus has risen from the dead. This glorious refuge is not possible unless Jesus has risen. You must believe and put your faith in this glorious, blessed, risen Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, O Father, that you have brought us into this place to hear the preaching of your word. We thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you for the blessed truths that are given here, that Christ has risen from the dead, that death could no longer hold him, that the grave could not hold him. It was all in vain, but we know that because Christ has risen, that we could be assured that you will raise us to new life in and through him. And Lord, we long for that day when we shall be made like unto that glorious body of the resurrected Christ. Lord, help us to set our minds and our hearts upon the things in heaven where Christ is seated at your right hand. And Lord, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to work in those who have heard that you would help us by faith to receive and to believe these things and to be granted this wonderful refuge of eternal salvation. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, we'll turn together to 16a. Preserve me, O my God, a paraphrase of Psalm 16. 16a. Let's